Stephen B's Media Production is a part of the Shellcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler, you're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Good evening, wherever you are in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents the Gospel Light Radio Show. I'm your host this evening, Stevie R. Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio with my co-host, Glenn McMillian from the state of Texas, Stanley Hubbard from the state of Indiana, Yusuf Al Ford from the state of Indiana, Dr. Frank Washington from the state of Florida, Clay Phillips from the state of Georgia, Steve Corder from the state of Illinois, Robert Lee Johnson from the state of Florida, and Brian Christian Coleman from the state of Illinois. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just so grateful for the privilege to be able to bring you a program where we as Christians and members of the Churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air this evening, just give us a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. Or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the show live there. There are over 1,500 live shows on that website at this hour, and you will consistently find this radio show on pages 1 through 4 of that website. This show is on page 1 of this website this evening. Now, I want to thank Blog Talk Radio for that, and by God's grace, that is such a blessing. If you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts on this radio broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, or you can call the Carolina studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. If you need any assistance locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, get out your Bibles and stay along with us here on the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Before we go into our program for this evening, I would ask that you would bow with me in a word of prayer that we may give God, thank God for this opportunity. Please pray with me. Our most kind, gracious, loving, heavenly Father, the Father, our Lord, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for allowing us to go through the various activities of the day and placing it on our hearts that we are on this broadcast and we're preparing now for the portion of your holy and divine 
word. Father, we pray that you'll be my co-host on the show this evening, Stanley Hubbard and Clay Phillips, as they break unto our listeners the bread of life. And also my co-host, Dr. Frank Washington, as he answers the questions that are on the hearts of so many. We just pray that you'll continue to bless them and their families, that they may continue to sow the seed of the kingdom. Father, we pray that you'll be with our listeners who are tuning in via Blog Talk Radio, as well as through social media. We pray that they may listen well. They may consider their eternal stance before you and that their hearts may be pricked and it will cause them to ask the question, what must I do to be saved? Father, we thank you so much for sending your only begotten son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who died such a cruel death on Calvary's cross. We recognize that without such a sacrifice, we would not have a hope of eternal life. Father, even now, we ask you to forgive us for the transgressions of our own heart. We know our flesh is weak and we often fall short. Of thy will. For we pray that you'll continue to bless us, keep us and love us all the days of our lives. And if we have been faithful until death, for we pray that you will save us. For it's in Christ's name we do ask it all. Amen. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. In the first segment, my co-host Stanley Hubbard, he's our newest co-host on the Gospel Light Radio Show. And we certainly appreciate him joining this team and he'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ. He serves as evangelist for the Kinsley Terrace Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. And in the shouted out portion of the broadcast, we have a question from our shouted out platform on social media called Facebook that will be posing to our co-host, Dr. Frank Washington from the West Broward Church of Christ there in Plantation, Florida. And then to close out the show, my co-host, Clay Phillips, he served the Rose City Church of Christ there in Thomasville, Georgia. And he'll be making this proclamation of the gospel of Christ to close out the show. So open up your Bibles and open your minds and let's have a great show. After the break, the next one should be that of my co-host, Stanley Hubbard. Enjoy the show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Come on, it's in the 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, my co host, Stanley Hubbard. Well, bless you, bless you. Appreciate the invitation to share a word with you. This is Brother Hubbard of the Kingsley Terrace Church of Christ in Indianapolis, Indiana. Church where God is glorified. The saints here are sanctified and our lives are changed. We thank God for this chance to share. A brief word with you to give us insight into the bonding that happens in relationships and how we can functionate to be more healthy in that context. My wife and I, Laura, are authors of several books on relationships as well as have traveled literally around the world in relationship workshops from Japan to India to Italy to all across the states. And we're thankful for a chance to share a few words with you at this time. In giving contemplation, looking at a few passages in this opportunity to evaluate and assess how we function in relationships we all are in a relationship, either you're married or you're dating or you have friends or their connections and bonds, either your parents or your child or their bonds inside your life. And I want to ask you to give some assessment at this moment as we contemplate and talk about the idea of whether you are what you think you are in a relationship. I'm not going to ask you what you are. I'm going to ask you to learn how to determine what you really are. Let me ask you a series of questions along that line. First of all, how do we find out if you're a great employee? I would guess we'd have to ask your employer. How do we find out if you're a great employer? We would probably have to ask your employee. How do we find out if you're a good friend? We would have to actually ask your friend. How do we find out if you're a great child? We have to ask your parents. How will we find out if you've been a great parent? We need to ask your children when they're old enough to know what a parent was supposed to be. So how do you know if you're a great mate? Most of us would say, I'm a great mate because I'm a great mate. But in all honesty, you are more than what folks say about you, but it does tell something about you. The relationships that you are in or would think that you're in are distinguished by how the people you count to your life really are. And it really begs the question, are you a spiritual-minded person? Are you actually spiritual? So what does it mean to even be 
spiritual. To say you need to be spiritual. What does it really suggest a person saying it's spiritual? Does it mean you, you focus all day long? You walk in meditation? Hear what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5. Now, be, be aware. Colossians is a book about the Christ of the church, and Ephesians is a book about the church of the Christ. The first three chapters of Ephesians tell you what it means to be in Christ, chapter 4, 5, and 6, tell you how you're supposed to act once you know what it means to be in Christ. Here Paul builds on this premise to explain what spiritually is a text. We often don't deal with in this context. But here what Paul writes beginning at verse number 17 of First Ephesians chapter 5. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. What is that? Well, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So being drunk in wine is a contrast to being spirit-filled. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? He explains that. Verse 19 continues, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's a joyful spirit. Verse 20, give me thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's being thankful. Verse 21, submitting to one another in the fear of God. That's being submissive. Three qualities are characteristics of a spiritual person. They have a certain attitude of joy. James builds with this premise on the idea that if you are spiritual, you are joyful. There's a, a joyfulness is not a is not being happy. Of course, happiness is based on based on circumstance and situation. You are joyful because you know who's in control. So he talks about this idea of singing psalms and hymns as a sign of a spiritual minded person who sings songs of praise to God. If you are spiritual minded in your relationship, basically you are mindset of joy. Secondarily, you are thankful. Thanks for what, preacher? Giving thanks always for all things. You're thankful for your pain. You're thankful for your struggles. You're thankful for your blessings. You're thankful for your friends. You're thankful for everything God gives you access to because spiritual-minded people are joyful and they are thankful. And thirdly, verse 21 says, submitting to who? To one another. If you can't submit to someone, you're not spiritual-minded. You will never become a general if you can't make it private. In, in all honesty, God can't use people who are so high-minded, they're no earthly good. So I want to challenge you, first of all, as we talk about relationships and discuss the dynamics of distinguishing what kind of person you are in a relationship, I want to begin by emphasizing, above all things, be spiritual. Be joyful. We ought to want to be around you. Be thankful. You appreciate everything God allows to happen. And be submissive. Now, going past that, I want to challenge you to contemplate something. I believe that when you study 1 Corinthians 2 and 3, you will discover three types of people who get involved in relationships. We would call them the freeloader, the renter, and the buyer. Actually, it really encompasses four types, freeloader, renter, and Bible, and, 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 and buyers. And it encompasses what we would call is the animal man the carnal man, and the spiritual man. Looking at these three, because I want to challenge you in this context. Now, I want you to realize something, that when you read this text and look at the examination inside this word of God, I want you to realize that at this moment you are functioning as one of these kinds of characters. You're either a natural-minded person, animal instinct-driven freeloader, or you're a renter-minded person, are you a buyer mentality person? So how do you function in a relationship? Paul helps you by giving insight in First Corinthians of the three types of qualities of characteristics that exist. Here what he says, 
in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, verse 14. But the natural man, that's the one who doesn't know God, does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, but they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. This I would call a freeloader. The natural man is the animal man. It fits what we call a freeloader. We talk to couples about being able to, to know that is a sign of people that's just basically ungodly, unspiritual, and worse than carnal-minded to be only a person who takes. They are spontaneous, and they are actually pulse-driven. And the Greek, the word suke is used for that person. Suke, suke man. The word suke sometimes considered is relating to the word soul, but it is the principle of physical life. Everything alive has suke. Your dog and your cat and your rat and the animals in your community all have suke. Suke is the physical life which we share with all living things. The suke coast man is one who lives as though there is nothing beyond a physical and material life. It's a person who lives based on things only that have values in the physical and tangible and physical world. He sees everything from a purely physical standard. This person cannot understand things that are spiritual. Let me forewarn you, if you are single, don't get caught up with a person with a suitcase mindset. Because the things of God make no sense to them. Why are you going to church on Sunday? Why are you giving your money down there? Why are you giving your time to serve down there? The suitcase man, the animal-minded man, the natural man who's driven by core instincts, by sex, by money, by fame, by popularity, that person cannot detect sense, cannot comprehend the things that are spiritual-minded. So why, why? If you are a child of the living king, would you decide to get connected with somebody who's a suke man or a person with this, 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 this freeloader mentality? Person is the kind of person, uh, I think they sing a song that, uh, I don't want no scrub, right? Uh, but but they, they stay as long as it doesn't cost them anything. These people make minimal commitments in their life. And some want everything for free. They, they do not want to put anything in, and the more, more is required or expected from them, they quit. Self-centered, self-focused, self-driven people. And let me declare to you, be aware. You be careful because you may find some suitcase, some, some animal-driven people even sitting up in the church. They're not even carnal yet. They're still stuck in their own mindset. If you were to describe someone, who has a taker mentality. Let me share something with you. Just because somebody is a freeloader mentality does not mean they're broke. There are couples you can see who actually have one person who always trying to take. They don't comprehend the things that are spiritual. Why do people function this way, and how do children function when they're raised in a house environment where the people who are leading the household only talk about what's in it for me. What am I going to gain? Kids who are raised in this environment, we talk about uh, a, 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 they're calling it affluenza, affluenza, affluency. It's people that are affluent who believe that somehow everything is to my right. Trumpish, if you would say that. Do, do your partner or your kids feel that everyone owes them something? What type of person does this mentality create? Paul calls it an animal-minded person a person who at their very root has no respect of value for things that are spiritual. So let me begin again by emphasizing to you, if you are not cautious, 
you get involved with the wrong person for the wrong reason. Now, I do a workshop, uh, uh, and I explain this concept of the, 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 the average person uh, would date for 10 to 14 months before they figure out they should have never talked in the first place. I, I wrote a book called uh, Don't Get Stuck with a Fool, How to Navigate Away from Unhealthy Relationships, where we explain the idea that a lot of times you get messed up because you got involved with a person for the wrong set of reasons. To every man out there, and to every woman out there, be careful what you ask for, because if you're not careful, you just may get it. Sometimes sisters will even say something to the effect of, like, I just want to get married. Lord, please help me get married. Baby, you don't want to just get married. I can declare right now, any woman who wants to get married can get married anytime she wants to. I can assure you they got at least 200 men getting out of prison every day would love to come live in your house, drive your car, use your finances. He would love that opportunity. You don't really want to just get married. That's not a goal. If you say your goal is getting married, you will get what you're asking for and find yourself miserable in a house all by yourself. You don't want to get married. You want a healthy, vibrant relationship that leads to marriage. Ask for what you're really asking for so you can get what you think you really want. But I do want you to realize this. So often we mess up because you look at the wrong criteria. There are some beautiful, I could be honest with you, there are some beautiful women out there. There are some beautiful women, and there are some handsome-looking men out there. But let me share something with you. Some of the best-looking women and some of the best-looking men can be serial murderers. Because what you see on the outside doesn't tell you what's on the inside. I'm advocating to you, if you are not in a relationship, look out for the suitcase person, the person who's animal-driven, and do not, I don't care what they drive. Uh, the Bible talks about a guy named Nabal. Nabal was a flat-out fool. Why? Because Nabal was the kind of man nobody could talk to him. His mind was set on, his, his mindset was, my mind is already set. Don't confuse me with that. I want to challenge you, if you are not in a relationship, be aware. Stop looking at the outside. Look at the inside. Find out who lives inside that body. What you see on the outside, look at what's on the inside. Because if you've got a person who's got a suitcase mindset, you've got somebody who is animal-driven in their instinct, avoid them. Ain't nothing but trouble and danger for the child of the living God. Well, there's a second kind of person Paul talks about inside of this great book. And he talks about that person in First Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse number 1. Not only do you have to deal with the an animal-minded, suitcase person whose mindset is what's yours is mine. That's the mindset of the person. What's yours is mine. Avoid people with that mentality. The second kind he talks about, in First Corinthians 3, verse 1 through 4, Paul writes with these words, And I, brethren, I could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able. For you are still carnal. For where there are, if you're full of envy, strife, and you're full of divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm a Apollos, are you not Carnal, the freeloading, animal-minded man has the perspective which yours is mine. But the carnal-minded person says, what's mine 
is mine. And what's yours is yours. It's interesting when you talk about this mindset. I call this, there's two types that fit inside this criteria. There's the kind we actually call a person who is a renter. And the kind I would actually maybe in reflection call a buyer. What's a renter? Several years ago, I did a meeting. I'm actually from Southeast Texas, but I, I was there doing a meeting in, in Louisiana, in Lake Charles, and I was staying with my mother driving back and forth. But I, I rented a car, flew into Houston, and rented a car out of Houston, Texas. And, and in my drive back and forth to do the meeting in, 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 uh, in Lake Charles, uh, Louisiana, uh, it began to rain. And, and every night of the meeting, it seemed many nights of the meeting, it would rain. The problem wasn't not that it rained. The problem was that the windshield wiper blades were starting to fall off. And every time the blade went to one side, the rubber would follow it later. And therefore, I had myself a real dilemma. And the dilemma was, what am I going to do about the situation since I have a condition right now uh, that at this point, the windshield wiper blades are not doing their job? Now, my mentality, to be honest with you, I'm a renter. I rented this car. This is not my car. Therefore, I am not going to spend my money. on. I've done my part. I made a commitment to pay a certain amount to use their car for a period of time. I made a commitment to make sure it's insured and covered. That's the end of my responsibility outside of putting gas inside this vehicle. So, therefore, in my mentality, it was that I'm a renter. This is not my car. So I stopped and put me some Windex on the, on the windshield so that the, 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 so the rain wouldn't stick on the windshield because I'm not buying a blade because I have a renter mentality when it comes to renting a car. There are some people who function in that same capacity. Paul calls them carnal-minded. I'll talk about that in a minute. This, this, this couple, couples that do this, they only give to get. I, I gave my 50%. You give your 50%. They, they do only what is in their own best interest. Short-term care, but no repairs. If I pay part, you pay part. I pay the rent, you pay all the utilities. Ronnie, I'm low, my money, my, my mother got sick, and I, I, I ran short of money. Well, you know, I paid my part, you pay your part. It's the kind of person that says, I took you out to eat, you got to take me out to eat. Well, did you take me out to eat because you wanted to take me out to eat, spend time with me and feed me, or did you take me out to eat because you want to take turns feeding each other? I want to challenge you. Many a believer in the Lord has a carnal mindedness. Isn't it normal to expect fairness in a relationship? Isn't it normal to want to expect somebody to seek to be fair? I mean, if I did it for you, surely you ought to feel the responsibility to do it for me. If you do not expect fairness, won't that put you at risk of being used? If I don't expect my partner or my friends to treat me fairly, give to me like I give to you, is that not counter to what I should be expecting? How can I be what I'm supposed to be when I'm giving to you, when I'm trying to bless you, and you're not giving back to me? Am I not being used? Let me share something with you, friend. The thing in life is not to be used. And the worst thing in life is not to be used, uh, is not to be misused. The worst thing in life is to be useless, to have no value. Nobody can use you. You have to have value to be used. Is there something wrong with being a blessing? Well, I don't know. God told you to act like him. If God is your father, you should not want to act like him. He blesses those who are good and those who are evil. He blesses all mankind. He lets it rain on the just and the unjust. What's wrong with expecting your partner to match across the board in your relationship? What's wrong with raising kids to expect fairness? What is the subjective, subjective danger of a fairness mentality? What does the Bible say about this environment in the word of God? Consider this. 
the Bible talks about being carnal. Interesting word. The Greek word is sarkanoi. It's an interesting word because it just it comes from the root word of, 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 of sarke, which just means flesh. See, you and I are made of flesh and have not yet gotten beyond human things. This is Paul's point. When he calls them carnal, 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 the word connects with a carnivore, which is a meat eater. Carnal suggests that there's something about you. You're in the body of Christ. You're a part of God's family, but you still think and function like you're fleshly driven. Every one of us is made of flesh. Every one of us is sarcanoid or sarcade. We all are that. But there's a distinction inside what Paul is talking about. He tells them the danger is that you are carnal-minded, which means he doesn't call them, call them sarcaco, which means you are dominated by the flesh. To Paul, flesh means more than the physical things. I am flesh. I am tangible. I, am, I can reach out and touch things. I'm biting inside this fleshly body. But to him, flesh means your nature apart from God. It is that part of man, both mental and physical, which provides a bridge to your sin. It is that part of us which answers to sin. That's why Paul says you ought not to be carnal-minded. Why? Because when you are carnal-minded, you're guided and led by your flesh. There's two types of carnal-minded people. There's the carnal-minded person who basically wants everything to be fair. If I did it for you, you do it for me. If I took care of you, you take care of me. And if you can't do your part, then, then shame on you. Figure out how to do your part. It ain't my responsibility. There's something missing when a spiritual, supposedly spiritual-minded person is more concerned about keeping things fair than keeping things spiritual. So consider this. One type of carnal-mindedness is this person, it must be fair. I ain't doing no more than my part in this relationship. I ain't doing no more than part. I got to do that. If I do my child. That's my child. I pay child support. If I pay the child support, I'm supposed to do what I got to do. That mentality is flesh-driven. But that's another kind of corner mindedness. We call them, we call them buyers, believe it or not. See, a buyer is somebody who purchased things. And they're satisfied not getting what they want on the front end because they expect to get it back on the back end. I'll take you out to eat, girl. I'll feed you. I'll give you everything you want me to do as long as I know. I've got a reward down the road. It's all good for me. It's a buyer mentality. People with a buyer mentality don't mind doing for you. They're not freeloaders just trying to get – they're not even beginning by saying it must be fair. But they're emphasizing the idea that you stand at some point, there got to be some reciprocation up in you. At some point, you got to show you what I put into you. At some point, I have put into you. I have, and understand, the buyer mentality actually suggests on a certain level that I own you. Even your children are not yours. Do you not realize, I think Job said it better than anyone else. Job said, I brought nothing into this world. Nothing. You, you didn't bring a sibling. You didn't bring a parent. Some of you didn't even bring any hair. You brought nothing into this world. And it is of a certainty you would take out just what you brought in. The only thing you have ownership of are the relationships in your life the relationships. You think you own those kids? 
It don't give you teenagers. It reminds you that you don't. People grow up and get on their own because you don't own people. You have ownership of your soul. And the body you have, you don't own it either. You've got to give an account for the thing you did with the body that you ride inside of because you own nothing. But sometimes people to buy your mentality would do things because somehow in the back of their mind, I'm not, I'm not air-minded. I am not corner-minded to the point that I've got to see it on the front end. But I am corner-minded to the point. It's got to show up somewhere. So Paul, Paul forewarned that if you're a member of the family of the living God, and you call yourself a child of the living king. Here again, that Paul forewarned us against the danger of the mentality of the person who function in this mindset. I'll read it to you again. Brethren, I couldn't talk to you like spiritual people, but as carnal as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. What you trying to say, Paul? Paul's saying that a baby can't feed themselves. Now, there's some people in the body of Christ who have been members of the church for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years. How can you be in the church for 30, 40 years and sing the same songs every week for 40 years and still not know the words? How he's in the service every Sunday and never read a verse in your Bible. You sat in class and, and don't know how to read the Bible, don't know the difference between First Corinthians and First Chronicles because there's something missing because you are babe in Christ. Babies, you know what babies do? Babies can't feed themselves, and babies are always crying because they want somebody to fix something for them. Paul said they're actually envy-driven, they're scribe-driven, they're full of division. If you find, you will only find outside of yourself what exists inside of you. If you inside of you are full of turmoil and anger and pain and frustration, you look around, the folk in your life are just like you. Carnal-minded. So, first of all, be cautious about the animal-minded person who basically believes what's yours is mine. I mean, be cautious about the carnal-minded person who believes what's mine is mine and what's yours is yours. And I want everything fair. Or I'll give to you, I'll be there for you, but I'm buying you. I own you, and a point going to come when I will come back looking for my return and what I expect to get paid because what's mine is mine, what's yours is yours, but if I gave some of mine, I'm getting some of yours. Let me advocate this. Let's think to be something different. Look how Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 2, beginning of verse 12. Now, we've received Paul writes, not the spirit of the world. See, when you become a part of the family of God, you no longer have a, a word and mindset. You're not supposed to any longer think like a person who is carnage-driven or flesh-driven. He said, we have received, not the spirit of the world. You ain't supposed to think like, well, I know ain't nobody going to take advantage of me. That's worldly talk. Ain't nobody going to treat me any kind of way. That's worldly talk. The Lord came and died for the children who loved him and trust him. And guess what he said? Be like me. We have not received. We have, now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak. Not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Not comparing the spiritual with the worldly, or how we think compared to how the world thinks, or how the devil thinks. No, no, no. Comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. The natural man, the person that, that animal 
driven person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. But they are foolishness to him. Now can't he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual, we're supposed to be there, judges all things. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known, this is us, child of the king, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. What does that mean, preacher? I'm not advocating you be a freeloader. I'm not advocating you be be carnal-minded. I'm not even advocating you be buyer-minded. I'm I'm advocating you be the kind of person who's investment-minded. You see, an investment-minded person is spiritually driven. The word pneuma is here. Spirit is that which makes man man. We talked about suke before, we, which is what which connects with all things that's made. We talked about sarcades, the flesh. But he says we are pneuma. You know, the word pneumatology is about the study of the spirit. Pneuma, spirit. Spirit is that which makes man a man. It is that which makes him different from the rest of creation. It is pneuma. It is spirit that makes you kin. To God. When you're spiritual minded in a relationship, when you are investment driven, years ago we bought a house, but, but even, even buying the house, we changed our carpet to, to wood floors, we changed our cabinets, stuff worked the same, but we had a buyer mentality. We we're putting into it to make it better, but we expect to benefit from it better. God is spirit. And they that worship in John 4, 24, worship in spirit and truth. Let me preach it. It suggests the idea that if God is spirit, God puts into us for our benefit. When you're spiritual-minded, you ain't thinking about you. You think Jesus came thinking about himself? He came thinking about us. God knew before he made mankind with his foresight, with omniscience, that man's going to sin. But he knew he would love us so much. Before he made us, he made us knowing we was going to mess it up anyway. And he decided, I love them so much, we'll make them anyway. But what that means, if you make them, they're going to sin. I know. So we got to put together a plan to save them they, because God needs us. God does not need us. We need him. When you are spiritual-minded in a relationship with everybody, you are investment-driven, which means your only question is this, how can I bless you? Are there people in your life who you bless, expecting nothing from them? I would declare to you, unfortunately, a lot of believers are carnal-minded, and that's why you always expect something from somebody else. But, but why can't you just bless somebody because you know they need a blessing? Why can't you care for someone because you know they need caring? How many young people, we complain, oh, I, the, the streets are crazy, the kids are killing each other, they're acting the fun fool out there, shooting up the whole world, the whole and God is saying to you, why don't you take some time with those kids and show your care? Invest in them. Those kids can't do nothing for me. That's the point. If you're spiritual-minded, look for a way to bless somebody else. If you pour, the, the, the Lord is poured into you and you pour into someone else, you are a vessel God keeps filling. Don't you realize sometimes the very reason you see a problem inside the world you're living in is because God puts you there as the answer? We are spiritual discernment. We're able to see things from a spiritual perspective. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 
verse 18, he said, well, we look, we, children of God, spiritual-minded people, we look not at the things which are seen. We look at the things which are not seen. Why? Because the things are seen are temporary. And the things which are not seen are eternal. It's sad how many people call themselves children of the living king and only invest in things that are tangible and physical. You know how much money you got in the bank. You know how many cars you didn't buy. You know how much your house costs. You know all those things. You can't take out five souls you talk to for the Lord. You can't find four people you bless because God has blessed you. You can't look around inside your life and discover before God has blessed you with. It's not close out. There's a term in Scripture, oikos, oikos. Oikos is a term for household, Cornelius' household, right? Lydia's household, they're oikos. Your oikos consists of five groups. I contend these five groups are the people who God expects you to touch for the years that you live. Who's your oikos? These are the five relationships, want them or not, that you're going to have in your life. And with each one of these people inside your life, each of these types of people inside your world, you don't need to be uh, a freeloader, animal-driven. You don't need to be carnal-minded. You need to learn how to be spiritual investors in the hearts and lives of your oikos. They'll know you. They're your friends. They're your relatives. Your fr- I call them your friends. They're your friends, your relatives, your acquaintances your neighbors, and your enemies. My enemies, yes, God, a person has to know something about you to call themselves your enemy. Do you not know God has invested? He has invested you. He has dropped you in the middle of a world of people, some who love you and care about you and some who can't stand you. He put you there because your job is a, as a spiritual being for the purpose of God is to be the illustration and the example of God in a world that does not know God. He planted you in that place. The question is, what are you going to do about it? Stop pointing at the way we got to preach it. We got elders and we got deacons in the church and everybody, the brothers ought to be doing and the sisters ought to be doing. Stop whining and get yourself out there and get to the work you've been called to do so you can make a difference for the little bit of time you got on this earth. He has called you to be an investor, but investors put inside of others expecting nothing for themselves. And if there's nobody in your life you bless just to bless them with no expectations, you have fallen on being a child of the king who does that for everybody. Even if you're not a part of the family of God. If you don't have a spiritual investment-minded mentality, maybe maybe you're, 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 you're a stupid. Maybe you just like every animal that exists with no care and love for anything. Maybe you're carnal-minded, right? You start the flesh has got a grip on you. you. You make all your decisions based on what benefits your flesh. The beautiful thing about being a person with the stamp of God's image on you is you can change. This very moment, this very day, you can make a conscious decision. I'm tired of being like I've been. So you would actually need help to not know how to become a Christian. You would need help to misread scripture. The Bible says, Romans 10, 17, faith comes from the word of God. You, you heard that word this, this evening, and you can gain faith based on what you've heard. And once you gain faith, the Bible says, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So he that comes to God must, must believe that God is, and believe he rewards you if you seek him. You've got to have the kind of belief. 
if you believe that, it'll lead to what we call a change of mind. We, we use the word repentance, but the word basically means to say no to sin and yes to God, to say no to your way, yes to God's way. Repentance is saying, I'm going the wrong way. I, I need to turn around. Aren't you tired of running the wrong path? Aren't you exhausted from doing the same dumb decisions in a cycle of your life? Bad friends, bad relationship, bad choice, bad act. Aren't you tired of that cycle? Isn't it time for change? That's what repentance is. And then you must confess. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 32, wherefore we confess before men our confession from our Father which is in heaven. But confession is an interesting word. The word has the idea of this, this deciding that Jesus is your, is, your, is your Lord. Your Lord. The word is curios. What's a curios? When we tell people to confess Jesus is Lord, I want you to understand what that means. We often almost suggest, well, you've got to give him from the church. You're saying, I believe he's the son of the living God. Yes, yes, and no. But you declare someone as your curios. If you say Jesus is your Lord, we all want to be our Lord and Savior. We love the Savior part, but he don't want to be just your Savior. He's going to be your Lord and your Savior. What does that mean, preacher? Your Lord tells you what to do, where to do, how to Your Lord directs every part of your life. In repentance, I said, my way is the wrong way. I've got to turn around. My Lord says, you're going this way. I'm asking God, what should I do? How should I do it? Where should I be? Give me insight because I don't know what I'm doing. That's what confession is all about, friend. It's accepting that you're lost, that you know your direction. You're asking him to direct your life, to be your curios, to be your Lord. And once you've done that, the Bible is so simple, you'd have you need help in this reading. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, Mark 16, 16, friends. You believe and you, when you decided to change your way of thinking, you decided to die to who you were. You confess, you said, Lord, guide my life, and then we, you died now to who you were. We're going to bury you. Because, behold, all things are going to become new. You're going to start off as a brand-new person right now after your baptism. You can contact the station. Any brother on here will love to be with you. The Church of Christ and the community will stand by your side as you make this decision, and you learn to be spiritual. But let me just declare to you, everybody in church is spiritual. Don't get it twisted. Even we got some raggedy preachers in spiritual either. It's a part of life. You've got everybody everywhere. Being spiritual-minded is people who carry this emphasis to try to be more like the Lord. If you're not a part of the family of God, make a contact. But right now, I challenge you, if you're a member of God's family, once you decide today, make a list of names of folks that you know. Decide right now, I'm going to show some spirituality to somebody. I'm going to call somebody and pray with them. I'm going to see what I can do every day of my life. I'm going to look around and say, Lord, who can I bless with a prayer, with a, with a service? I'll give you a ride. I, what do you mean? I'll give you some food. Whatever I have it. I'll share because the Lord treats us that way, and he says to us, be like me. I would declare to you, if you take that challenge to be like him, you're not going to be no freeloader like an animal minded man. You're not going to be carnal-minded, looking out for how it's fair for you. you be an investor who's spiritual-minded, looking to say, Lord, show me who can I bless next. Maybe choose that route and choose that, that, that direction. God, I bless you. Let's close with a brief word of prayer. Father God, we just come to you. We, we come in acknowledgement of your authority. You are amazing. 
Your love for us is mind-boggling. Your care for us is astounding. You, 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 you are omniscient. You know all things. You're omnipresent. You're everywhere. You're omniscient. You, in your, in your, in your capacity to see all things, have all power, and have all capacity. You bless us. You're transcendent. You don't even need us, but you bless us because you care. Even though we are raggedy, make the worst decisions at times for our own life. Your only concern is, my child, I still love you. Get up while you can. May we choose to walk with you. May we choose to run towards you and not from you. May we choose to ask you to guide us. May we choose to be spiritual because that's what we are, made in your nature. Thank you for your care, your mercy, your grace, your peace, and your strength. And now, in the name of the one who calms all waters, and in the name of the one who can calm every sea, and in the name of the one, who can speak a world into existence with just our word. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. May God bless you. May give you strength. May God give you peace. Be blessed. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. God is able. God is able. God is able. To do what he said he would do. God is able. God is able. Yes, he is. God is able. God is able. God is able. To do what he said he'd do. Whoa, Think about Daniel and the lion's den. It didn't look too good, but Daniel put his trust in him. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When the flames grew hot, they just put their trust in God. And he would not let them go. But God showed his faithfulness. So if you think you're in a trial by fire, when the flames grow hot, you just put your trust in God, and he'll never let you go. When trials come your way, he can give you peace down in your soul. He is always true. He'll be there for you. Will you believe? Will you receive? Yeah, yeah. Yes, he's able. Yeah, yeah. 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 Y
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a question, but this question didn't come on a social media platform. This question came from uh, Dr. Frank Washington. He'll be answering our question in this segment. Dr. Frank, how you doing, my brother? Oh, another damn paradise, brother Steve. It's good to hear your voice all the time. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, you know you can find me on Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> hey, go ahead, Frank, and take it away with this segment. All right, my brother. Thank you so much. Uh, brother Steve, I appreciate you you know, allowing me to be a part of this uh, group of yours, a part of this program that you have that God is, uh, I believe, his hand is upon you and may his hand never leave you. Uh, and may you continue to do, to do the great things uh, that God wants you to do. I want to thank Brother Stanley Hubbard uh, for that great message that he uh, presented to us, and let's get down uh, to this uh, great question in the Bible. Uh, Or tonight, I'm not going to do the discussion, you know, on whether the Bible is the Word of God or can a Christian live bad and still go to heaven or um, how to get right with God. I won't be doing a question like that, but I am going to ask and answer a question. But first of all, I'd like for you to go with me to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter confesses something very important. He says, when Jesus came in verse 13, when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, there's a lot of good meal. Uh, there's a lot of, that's a big dinner right there in all these words. But can you understand the importance of every person answering this question correctly? The most important question of all scripture comes from Jesus, and he asks it very simply, but who do you? Who do you, Brother Frank? Who do you, Brother Stevie? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered the question correctly by saying you are the Christ. Now, every person's got to answer this question, no matter their faith, no matter their circumstances, no matter what. So how do we answer the question? Is Jesus the Lord, or is he just a good person with a good message, or is he just playing crazy? What is he? Well, author C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, points out that the question of Jesus had to be answered in the following way. He says Jesus is either mad, bad, or God. But he writes, and I quote, I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. And that is one of the things that we must not say, end quote. In doing that, Jesus asks a lot of questions, questioning was one of Jesus' favorite teaching tools. One of the questions Jesus puts to his disciples is, who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I 
Anyhow, this question drew out a response that's instructive to all of us. The context of Jesus' question, who do you say that I am, is important, vitally important, over any other question that we ever talk about. Once when Jesus was praying in private and his disciples were with him, he asked them, who do the crowds say that I am? Who does man say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others still that one of the prophets long time ago. But what about you, he asked. What, who do you say that I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ. Now, Matthew relates that Peter did more than just identify Jesus as the Christ. He also proclaimed Jesus' divine nature. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus' question, who do you say that I am? was not a sign of ignorance. He knew all things, including what was on the disciples' mind. The question was not motivated by some type of self-conceit or vanity. Jesus did not preen and did not desire to fish for compliments. Rather, question his aim at provoking the disciples to consider their level of faith. The immediate result of his question made it clear why he asked them what he did. Jesus began the conversation by asking a related question, one of the greatest questions ever asked. Who do the crowds say I am? The disciple related the various things they had heard, the opinions, included several uh, personages come back to life, pointing to the fact that the crowds viewed Jesus as someone special. But the crowd's guesses were all wrong. So Jesus directs the question to the disciples themselves. He says, then who do you say that I am? In other words, are you following the crowd? Are you sticking with the conventional wisdom about me? Or do you have another more insightful answer? What do you really think? Well, you know, Peter, he's that quick, quick guy. He said, answer the question, you are the son, the Christ, the son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And more than that, you are the son of God. But by this time, the disciples had seen a lot of things that Jesus had done, the miracles, including raising the widow, uh, widow's son in name and calming the storm and casting out many demons. He saw, they saw all that. The disciples knew that Jesus was more than just he was absolutely unique. He was, in fact, God in the flesh. He was the Christ. So in response to Peter's declaration, Jesus expresses the blessedness of his faith. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So Jesus asked the question, the greatest question ever asked, who did you say? I am. He receives correctly and divinely from Peter, the response from Peter. And this marks a turning point in Jesus' teaching ministry with his disciples. Starting then, the Lord gave his disciples additional information, as shocking as it was for them to hear. From that time, to Jesus began to, uh, to, to tell his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many 
king at the hand of elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. He had to refrain from telling them earlier about who he was. Because remember, he said, don't tell anybody. He refrained from telling his disciples about his death, about his resurrection, until he had reached an important milestone, namely that their faith had grown to the extent that they could express their conviction that Jesus was the Son of God. Unfortunately, though, the disciples had a hard time processing what Jesus was now telling them, as evidenced in Peter's response in Matthew 16, through 23. Even having faith in Jesus sometimes as the divine Son of God, the disciples were thrown into confusion and the prediction of Jesus' death and resurrection. Even having faith in Jesus, sometimes, you know, I'm not the only one here, or am I the only one here that, you know, gets confused or sometimes fall away from the path? If, if I'm the only one here, somebody needs to say amen to that. But Jesus' question of who do you say that I am is a good example of one of his teaching methods. Asking a question demands engagement. It promotes thinking and draws out a considered response. Jesus' teaching also illustrates the progressive nature of God's revelation and our need for our growing faith. Throughout history, God has revealed his message gradually, starting in Genesis, continuing through the close of the canon. He did not reveal any more than mankind needed or was capable of receiving at any given time. But I can recall, and I'm sure you can recall as well, the very first time that you told your parents or told your friends or told your um, you know, colleagues that you were a follower of Jesus Christ. And their response was probably surprise and confusion at your newfound faith. But a lot of, a lot of us, or a lot of us, yeah, well, a lot of us were very clumsy in telling our friends and family and, 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 and whatnot, colleagues, that we needed to make a decision about who Jesus is sooner rather than later. For hell is a destination for those who do not proclaim him as Lord. And this is the most, again, the most important question in all of scripture and time is running out for those who don't know Jesus so my encouragement to you fellow believer fellow preacher would be to carefully introduce Jesus into your daily conversation with others to help them discern Jesus's identity who is Jesus find a way find a way to get them to understand that Jesus' question, but who do you say that I am, must be answered and will be answered as they stand before Jesus Christ on Judgment Day. Who do you say that Jesus is? Is he your Christ? Son of the living God, 
or is he just somebody who has a great message? Only you can tell. Because, but, again, time is running out for those who don't know him. If you know him today, if you want to know him today, you can do that. Thank you for listening. The biggest question, the best question, the, the, the most important question that we could ever ask on an SIL question is, who do you say Jesus is? May God bless you and keep your hand in God's hand. Stay in God's grip. Shout it out question. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show.
You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Give your attention to the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now my co-host, Clay Phillips. I want to thank, first of all, Brother Butler, for allowing us to be able to come and expound upon God's unadulterated truths. I want to thank both ministers for their marvelous job in preaching and answering particular questions that is advantageous for the call of Christ. I want to say that the ministers that participate in this broadcast, let the Bible speak. Also, um, Block Talk Radio Show, uh, Bible-believing ministers. We are Bible-believing church. We believe in speaking where the Bible speaks. I've been silent where the Bible is silent. We are a church bound for heaven. We're not guessing that we're going. We know we are going to heaven. So I want to thank God for all the ministers that preach God's word without addition or subtraction. Now I want to call your attention to Old Testament passages of Scripture, Jeremiah chapter 12. Jeremiah chapter 12, I want to read verse number 5. And we shall pull our advocate message from this verse. Jeremiah chapter 12, verse 5. And we find these words written. If thou hast run with the footmen, and they have wearied thee, then how canest thou contend with the horses? And if in the land of peace, Wherein thou trusted, they weary thee, then how would thou do in the land of swelling of the Jordan? Thus is the reading of our scripture, and I want to use for advocate of our message today, assessing the damage, assessing the damage. There's a place in Georgia called the uh, Cola Falls. Beautiful place to go and visit, and enjoy, vacation. Back in the, uh, the 40s, the dam broke and lost 39 people died, lost their lives after the dam broke. An investigator from Washington, D.C. came to assess the damage, to see why the dam broke. And he found out in his analytical studies of investigation that two things had to be done. Number one, there had to be uh, a rebuilding of. And then number two, there had to be uh, a recognition of 
there's some things we never can replace. So there's two things here. He recognized that there's some things that you have to rebuild. And then there are some things that you must understand you can never replace. As what is it that you can rebuild? You can rebuild the dam, but 39 lives lost, you cannot replace the value of losing loved ones. And so we must understand that God is dealing with Jeremiah. And how did Jeremiah get to the point that God answered him <laughs> uh, in a way that he analyzed Jeremiah? Now, understand this. In Hebrews chapter 1, you know, in the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 1, in the verses 1, the Bible tells us plainly how God worked. God worked in mysterious ways. The Bible says, and God, who at sundry time and in divers manners, spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. In other words, God is letting us know, listen, I work in mysterious ways. I, I do things that would cause you to doubt me as your God. I do things that because I'm God, I'm sovereign. Uh, God who at sundry times, the, the etymological word sundry times here meaning in many portions. In other words, God said, listen, I give many portions. I'm the one that analytically correct. I do what I want to do. <laughs> then he says, and uh, and Diverse manners, meaning in many ways. So God said to us, and telling us, listen, I do what I want to do. So the thing that is interesting here in the lesson of Jeremiah chapter 12, Jeremiah is upset. <laughs> Come here. Come to me. Jeremiah is impatient with the trouble that he's going through. And he at the point of his breaking point, I'm tired of this. Why is God allowing this to happen? And and here, uh, what I want to do is I wanna I wanna help you uh with understanding uh what Jeremiah is upset about and the nature of his concern. Then we're going to look at the leading up to that. So God is giving Jeremiah, in, in verse number five, he answering Jeremiah, he said, come here, Jeremiah, let me, let me ask you. Now, now, remember, remember now, Jeremiah is known as the weeping prophet. <laughs> uh, the weeping prophet always cries. Always whipping. We would call him today. Uh, he 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 just uh, a crybaby. Look at it, Jeremiah. You just a crybaby. Why are you always crying about? So Jeremiah is at the point, a breaking point, that God says, uh, I, in other words, I led you to this point. 
I, I let you. I, I want you to understand, Jeremiah. Let me tell you something that you need to understand. He says, Jeremiah, and explain to Jeremiah that he says, "How would thou do?" In other words, God is being uh, assessing the damage that has happened to Jeremiah up to this point. Let's read verse five again. If thou has run with footmen, and they weary thee. In other words, he explaining to Jeremiah, listen, if you can't handle a little problem, the footman wearies you, cause you to break down in tears, weary, worrying, he says, then how can I contend with horses? How are you going to be in a, a battle with men on horseback? In other words, uh, you can't handle the little problem. How are you going to handle the big problems? So God is assessing the damage that Jeremiah. So look what he says to Jeremiah. He said, and if the land of peace, <laughs> if the land of peace wherein thou trusted, they weary thee. In other words, everything is peaceable. And here, and, and, and here, you, you had not gone through nothing yet, Jeremiah. And, and you can't handle this little stuff. What's wrong with you? He said, how would thou do? Now, notice what it says here. This is where I let you come from. How would thou do? In other words, God is saying to Jeremiah, I analytically examine you. I assess the damage that's done you and you really have gone through nothing. He says, if the, if the river of Jordan swell over and flood over and the dam breaks, what you going to do then? How you going to act then? Jeremiah, Jeremiah known as the weeping prophet. Look at it. Now, let's go back and see how Jeremiah got to this point. <laughs> Y'all, 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 y'all ready for this? Can, can, can I grab your attention? Let's go back and see how Jeremiah got to the point where God says, uh, I'm going to assess the damage. What's going on here? Now, remember now, uh, God is God. And he says in verse, uh, and go back, let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 1 and, and see something here. The Bible says, notice in verse 10, go ahead and look in verse 10, he says, see, the word see means understand. He said, understand, I have this day set thee over the nation, over the kingdoms, to root out. He's talking to Jeremiah. He called Jeremiah uh, from a child. Okay, y'all, y'all think I want to bleed it. And then we back up there and read that then. Notice in verse number 6. He says, back up to verse 6, and then we'll come on down. Then said I, yea, Lord, God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. Now, now he, Jeremiah don't want to do this. You know, he, he's a weeping prophet. So God is going to take a weeping wimp and make him strong. Kevin, <laughs> God, hey, good job. God is going to take a weeping wimp and make him strong. Know what he says. He says, but the Lord God said unto me, Say not, 
I am a child. Thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee. And whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their face. Because, you know, they folks look like they're mad at you when you start telling them the word of God. For I am with thee to deliver thee, said the Lord God. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my word in your mouth. Then the Bible says in verse number 10, See, understand, Jeremiah. <clears throat> I have this day set thee over the nation. Wimp. <laughs> God, you do know you're talking to Jeremiah. You're talking to weeping prophet. Wimp. Yes, I know who I'm talking to. Jeremiah, I want you, I want you to understand. I have this day set thee over the nation and over the kingdom, not only spiritually, but physically. I set you over the nation and over the kingdom. You, you talking about the will? Yes, I'm talking about the will. I have set him over the nation and over the kingdom. You, you really talking about Jeremiah? So, Jeremiah, root out. I want you to root out. I want you to pull down. I want you to destroy. And I want you to throw down. <laughs> oh, you're talking to the whip. God, you, you know you're talking to Jeremiah. You're talking to the whip. He said, yes, I know what I'm talking to. He said, uh, to destroy. I said, throw down. There are two things I need to do for you to do. I need you to rebuild. I need you to build, and I need you to plant, because there's some things you can't replace. So understand, so here we find Jeremiah receiving the call from God as a young man, as a young boy. And here we find that God said, I want you to rebuild. Now understand this, what God is teaching us as believers, as Christians, is that our nature, our own nature, cannot encourage us. It will not help us to become sufficient in God. <laughs> Let the Bible speak, Brother Clay Phillips. Because you remember in 2 Corinthians, I'm just going to quote it, 2 Corinthians 12, verse number 1 through 10, read it for yourself. The Apostle Paul uh, recognized this. The Bible says, Paul said, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell. But God knows such a one. Whether in the body, out of the body. In other words, Paul said, I can't, how I, I analyze this thing is, is, is mess me up. He said, let me tell you something. He said, I didn't know I was in the body, out of the body. But I went to the third heaven. <laughs> to the third heaven, the three heavens in the body. Bible talks about birds fly, the stars, and God thrown that boy, Paul, went to the third heaven. God sent him back to earth and, uh, and gave him a thorn in the side. <laughs> I, I, got to, I got to whip you. I got to keep you humble because you are the opposite of Jeremiah. You, you're a bold joker. And so I got to humble you. 
When Jeremiah is, I got to give him some stress. Woo. Now, look at it. Look at it. Look at it. Uh, uh, analyzing the damage. Uh, Paul had done some serious stuff to the church, didn't he? God used him and sent him down a street called Straight and straight him out. <laughs> and he says, God gave me a thorn in the side that it might guide me and help me. So that's what Paul said. That's what Paul said, listen, I want you to understand that my nature is not my nature. It's God who's working in me. So it is the grace of God told Paul, my grace is sufficient. Not me. Uh, Jeremiah, not you. It's my grace is sufficient. And that's why Paul said in Philippians chapter uh, 4, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Now, let's go back to Jeremiah. I, I, love, I love talking about Jeremiah. Let's go back to Jeremiah now and let us see and analyze, if you will, what brought Jeremiah up to the point where God had to deal with him as far as had to answer his question. God, first of all, assessing the damage. What caused Jeremiah to get to the point where he was broke down and just crying and whipping? And, and what caused and, and, and preachers, call y'all to listen, listen, preachers, <clears throat> Don't it get tough sometimes? <laughs> uh, everybody say amen. Preachers, don't it get hard sometimes? You, you're trying to do your very best. You, you try to run with the men, but find out the horses are coming. Ooh. You try to live in peace, but then you find out that joy is swelling. Dam is breaking. Everything around us is going haywire. And God said, Jeremiah, I'm calling you. Woo. I want you uh, to go and tell my people. Jeremiah said, Lord, you know, he said, I call you before you were ever born, Jeremiah. I know what I'm dealing with. I know what I'm doing. Let God be sufficient. Let God move in your life, Jeremiah. Now, what, what? let us look now carefully at what happened to Jeremiah. Uh, there was some conspiracy going on. Number one, first of all, there was a conspiracy against God authority. The first thing, when you study and read, I'm going to give you a chance to read on your own, back up to chapter 11. I'm not going to read this quote for you. In chapter 11, they had a conspiracy against the authority of God. They fought against God. Listen now. The first thing they want to do, God said, I want you to straighten them out. Now, even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, that was his thing. Well, he fought against God. Amen? And the Bible talks about an uh, incident in Acts chapter 5 and verse number 33. Acts 5, 33. The Bible says, uh, Gamayus, look at Gamayus counseling. Come here, come here. Let me give you some counseling. <laughs> Let Gamayus counsel you. Uh, his, the Bible says when they heard that they were cut to the heart, when they heard the gospel, and I'm going to tell you now, you tell folks the truth, it hurt, and it took counsel to slay them, to slay the apostles. Don't kill them. The Bible says, then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaeus, a doctor of the law. 
had any reputation amongst all the people and commanded them to put the apostles a little space. Let me help them out. Let me analyze this thing now. Assess the damage. <laughs> Let the Bible speak, but clearly. And said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves what ye intend to do as touching these men. You better be careful. For before these days rolled thousands who boast themselves to be somebody. And you know what happened to him. Then verse number 37 says, after this man rose uh, Judas of Galilee in the days of the Titanian, and then what happened to him? Y'all know it nothing happened. Now, no verse 38. And now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone. For if, the, if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But notice now verse number 39. But if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happen ye be stopped even to fight against God. What is wrong with us? You better know who you're talking to. You better make sure. You better analyze this thing carefully. Jeremiah, what you going to do? <clears throat> they may. They're conspiring against God. Two things happen in the cons- conspirers. Number one, they conspired against the king. Hello, come here, come here to me. They they, they conspired against the king. Number two, they conspired against uh, Jeremiah. In other words, they they scheme against the king. Let, let me say this. Let me say this to, to uh, America. America, come here, come here. First of all, uh, I'm not scared of Donald Trump. I'm not scared of Biden. I'm not scared of nobody on this earth. Hello, because see, I have analyzed the damage. <laughs> when you read the Old Testament, God had always put men in place that had some issues. Oh, look at that. Let the Bible speak, Brother Philip. You better, you better watch who you call God will deal with the damage. What God is telling Jeremiah, you can't run with footmen. How are you going to have a horseman? You can't handle peace. How can you handle anything else? What's wrong with you, Jeremiah? Okay, so now, now, let, let, me tell, let me show you something. Let me show you something. Turn, everybody turn it back to Romans chapter 13. Romans 13. And, I, and I'm a firm believer of this. I'm a firm believer of the Bible. I don't I let the Bible speak. I ain't trying to argue nobody. Uh, okay, you worry about if Trump going to get the president again. If he get it, get it. Do you think they're going to stop God? <laughs> Jeremiah, quit weeping, quit crying. And let me tell the body of Christ. We got to quit crying and weeping and preach the gospel. Go to all the world and preach the gospel. Stop worrying about what God's job is. God's going to do his job. He always has. As Pharaoh. As Nebuchadnezzar. As the Hebrew boy. As Daniel. As Jeremiah. As Jeremiah will tell us the boy all over. Woo. 
Look at Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. You got to be careful now. Men in charge. The Bible teaches us that we pray for everybody. Because God, I believe that God put everybody in charge that's in charge. And you better be careful. Look what the Bible says in Romans chapter 13 and verse 1. Let every soul be subject to unto the higher power. For there is no power. <laughs> that, boy, that's encouraged me right there, y'all. I said, y'all, not you all, y'all. That encouraged me right there. Let every soul that, that including plainly be subject unto the higher powers. For there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Now, now uh, analyzing the damage. When I look at what uh, that happened to America, and you look back at what happened in the historicity of the Bible all the way to now, ain't nothing new under the sun. <laughs> oh, oh. There's nothing new under the sun. How we send back the outcry? They had disease back then. They had crazy nuts back then. They had food. They had people that said, uh, look what I've done. God, and God made them eat grass for seven essences. He'll tell you about it. The Bible says in verse number two of, Ro of Romans chapter 13, whosoever therefore resists the power, resists the audiences of God. And they that resist shall receive to themselves what? Damnation. That's what the book says. Judgment. The word damnation means judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good works. You just keep on doing good works. You keep on praying. Keep on serving. Keep coming to Sunday school. <laughs> Sunday school, worship service, evening service, Wednesday night Bible study. You keep doing that. And God said, I got everything else. But to the evil, would thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is the minister. I know this shocking to some of you all. You know it's in the Bible, though. Of God to execute for good. How you gonna work out for good? I don't know as Jeremiah. Oh Lord, Jeremiah, God said, shut up, Jeremiah. <laughs> you can't even run with footmen. And you expect me to stop the horse? Put you with the horses? Be quiet, quit the crying. So I'm leading up to Jeremiah. Number one, Jeremiah, they picked up people, expired, uh, uh, was crooked and tried to conspire to kill the king. And here in the day, we got people running around to like killing the president, killing the vice president, killing the governor. What's wrong with us? God is going to take you out. God is the one in charge, not Clay, the Lee Phillips. God is in charge. No one said, but if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain, but he is the minister of God, a revengeous to execute wrath upon them that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must be 
be subject, <laughs> not only for wrath, but also for the conscious sake. Isn't that something? For, for, for this cause, pay ye tribute also, for they are God's ministers attending continually upon this very thing. Don't you know they are God's ministers? So number one, you cannot cons- conspire against leadership. Whether good or bad, there's other scriptures I can go to, but I don't have time tonight. Then <clears throat> they conspired to kill uh, Jeremiah chapter 11. They were going to kill Jeremiah. And preachers have to be mindful. When you teach the truth like I'm doing today, people are going to conspire against you. They don't like you. I don't like better feelers. Okay, then. You don't like me. I like you, though, but I'm trying to go to heaven. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Everybody turn the Bible down 2 Timothy 4. I'm going to start reading at verse 18. Save some time. And you remember the Apostle Paul told Timothy in verse 1, I charge thee therefore. Okay? But verse number 18 says, know what Paul says to Timothy. He says, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work. <laughs> do you believe that? I do. Because I know he has. He has always been with me. He has, whatever happened to Clay, to Lee Phillips, I believe God has always been with me. He says here, and the Lord said, shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me. Look at it. Until his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. That's where I want to go. But should a prophet of man begin the whole world and lose his own soul? You better, you better start analyzing the damage in your life. You better start analyzing. So here we find Jeremiah. His army, and he's upset. Now, what was Jeremiah's issue here? Jeremiah it was really focused on God because God had touched his mouth and he preached the word of God. And, and there were some things that was not uh, <clears throat> anesthetically correct. So Jeremiah struggled with some things. And every preacher probably struggled with that if you're a true minister of God. There are four things Jeremiah struggled with, and I'm going to let you go. Okay? Four things Jeremiah struggled with. Um, let's look at it now. First thing, number one, homiletical one, Jeremiah struggled with. Uh, was why does the way of the wicked prosper? <laughs> oh, now, I, I'm guilty of that myself. Sometimes I say, Lord, why are you blessing all these crooked preachers? I mean, they're all some prosperity showing us taking folk money preach. God, why are you doing that? Okay, okay. So I say, clearly, you got to, can you run with the foot? You can't even run with the foot, Jeremiah. You can't, how you going to worry about running with the horses? Okay, you, 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 in a land of peace, you can't uh, live in a land of peace. How are you going to live when the land showing up uh, going through some serious damage? What you going to do? So, so Jeremiah was upset. Listen, he was upset about, I can't believe God letting the wicked prosper. How do you know? Look at verse number one of, of uh, Jeremiah chapter 12. Know what it says now. He says, righteous of thy own Lord. Jeremiah said, the God said, Jeremiah said, Lord, I know you righteous, man. When I plead with thee, yea, let me talk with thee 
of thy judgment. Can I? Now, Jeremiah, he said, I, I got, got bold. He crept But then let me talk to you on your judgment, how things going on. Wherefore does the way of the wicked prosper? Okay, Jeremiah said, God, I don't like the way you're doing this. <laughs> I don't like the way you're doing this. What you mean? Uh, can I talk to you, God? Talk. Wherefore does the way of the wicked prosper? Why are you letting them folks prosper? Prosper, and I'm not here suffering. Wherefore are all they happen that deal very treacherously? They get it, and they they deal treacherous with it. They don't do nothing they're supposed to do. God, okay, Jeremiah. Uh, go on. This verse number two. Look at this verse number two. He says, Thou hast planted them. <laughs> now, this, this, this is something, isn't it? Jeremiah is talking to God and telling God, You put them, you plant them in our neighborhood. Yea, they have taken root. They grew. Yea, they bring forth fruit. I'm looking at them. They are near in their mouth and far from their law. They, they over there cursing and swaying and doing everything, and yet and still, you blessing them. I cannot believe, God, you allowing this to happen. Why in, what in the blue thunder is going on? Jeremiah, look at him now. He, he upset. Now, no, no, no. Not only that, Jeremiah was concerned for the welfare of his people. Now, now, Jeremiah has a legitimate argument. I'm not saying that Jeremiah's argument is not legitimate. But what Jeremiah didn't understand is when God got a greater battle, God got something greater for you, you got to go through these little nagging incidents. (laughs) You got to demonstrate. So notice now, now we're looking at uh, Jeremiah concerned for the welfare of the people. Verse number three. That's what Jeremiah said. Know what Jeremiah said. But thou, Lord, knoweth me. <laughs> you know me, don't you? Yeah, I'm the one you, you say from the you know, from the moon. Jeremiah chapter one. You remember chapter one? John said, I, I call you to be a prophet in your uh, your mother's womb. So Jeremiah said, You know me. Thou hast seen me. You know what I've been trying to do? That that tried in my heart toward thee. Pull them out like he said, Now I can't do it, God, but you gotta do something. I know I've said that before sometimes. Sometimes I see things so terrible that, that people are going through, and I say, God, why are you not doing something? Jeremiah is saying, God, why are you not doing something? Pull them out like sheep. For the slaughter and prepare them for the day of the slaughter. You, you might as well go on in this this of slaughter. <laughs> Jeremiah, Jeremiah upset, didn't he? He upset. Jeremiah, he, he messed up. And then not, not, only, not only was Jeremiah concerned for the people, the Bible says uh, in, in verse number four, uh, uh, this uh, didn't seem fair. Jeremiah said, this, this ain't fair. <laughs> I can't believe God is doing this. Notice verse 4. How long 
shall the land mourn, and the herbs of every field wither it. How long, God? For the wickedness of them that dwell therein, the beasts are consumed, and the birds, because they say, he shall not see our last end. God, how long you going to let this happen? God said, it's not fair. And then that's when God said, let me, let me see. God said, God replied to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, let me tell you something. Uh, can, I, can I talk to you, Jeremiah? Now, in chapter 4, <laughs> no, 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 no. Listen, in chapter, in chapter 1, God deal with Jeremiah calling. In chapter 4, God deal with Jeremiah's anguish, his heart. So you read verse 19 of chapter 4, Jeremiah said, I can hear my heart beat. <clears throat> Jeremiah said, I can hear my heart beat. I'm having a heart attack. God said, you all right, Jeremiah. You're just running, man. When you run, you go, your heart going to beat faster. <laughs> then then in, in chapter 8, in chapter 8, Verse 22, God tells Jeremiah, he says, he says, now, what I want you to do, Jeremiah, you need to understand that uh, I made you the physician, uh, the pharmacist, rather. I made you the pharmacist. Listen to me. Jeremiah, I made you the pharmacist. The, the doctor is <laughs> the bomb and Gilead, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, that taken away the sin of the God, Son, Jesus is the medicine and, and the word of God. He is the word, the pharmacist. When, when, when they bring, they come to you with their prescription, you feel the, you can't give everybody, everybody medicine. Hello? Everybody don't take the same medicine. I take metformin. Somebody else takes some other medicine. We all have to take our own medicine. Jeremiah, what you need to do is understand uh, there's a bomb in Gilead. There's a pharmacist. There's a medicine. There's a healing power in Gilead. Take your medicine. Woo! Take your medicine. What is your medicine? Your medicine is the word of God. What going to help man? The word of God. Jesus said, went through Matthew 16, 13. Bible says, came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi. He asked the disciples, saying, who the men say, I the son of man am? Who, who, what, what, who, what they said about me? Notice now, Caesarea is the home of false worship, idolatry. They had gods there, uh, the sun god and the moon gods, and they was coming through, and Jesus saw all of this. And the apostles were looking at it like, oh, man, uh, we got the sun god, the moon god, and, I, and the fertility god, and all these kind of gods. And Jesus walking through them with his apostles to study Caesarea Philippi. And when they were walking through, that's when Jesus got to the other side and looked at his boys in awe, like, man, all these gods, half man, half horse, 
and all this stuff. And the Bible says, Jeff, like Jesus asked them, come here, come here. Now, who do men say I am? Woo-hoo. Woo, let about to speak, ladies. Who do men say I am? You, you, you know about Caesarea Philippi. Uh, in the coast of Caesarea Philippi. And you know about all them, but who does say I am? And, and 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 then they start thinking amongst themselves. They start analytically looking at what was going on and the damage that was done. When Jesus came on the scene, don't y'all know that if the damage was so bad that God that's why when Jesus God waited till things got so bad that they couldn't have no other bomb in Gilead. No other medicine that was gonna help you. Nobody could help them. No one. And that's what Jesus said. Who they say I am? And then he said, talk to John the Baptist, Jeremiah, like, this is, um, we don't know who he is. Some of you know who you are. And then that's when God, listen, come here, come here. That's when God gave his analytical concept. So y'all have done enough damage. <laughs> Let the Bible speak, Tony. Y'all have done enough damage. This is my son. Woo. Whom I'm well pleased. Hear ye him. And then Jesus looked at him and said, okay, I know my daddy had talked to you. <laughs> my daddy had talked to you, hadn't he? He told you. you. You didn't get that on your own. You didn't get that walking through. Uh, Caesarea, Philippi, uh, Philadelphia, uh, the God of the Tonington. You didn't get that from them. You got that from my daddy. My daddy gave you analytical and showed you the damage. I got to die on the cross. I got to leave here. I'm on one day I'm coming back to my church. He says, uh, uh, Peter, upon this rock, not Peter the pit, small rock, Peter the large rock, Petra and Petra. Upon this rock I build my church and the gates of hell shall not Prevail against it. No storm, no damage going to face the kingdom of God in the last days. And we must be thankful that we are part of the kingdom. Now listen, to be a Christian, you must hear the gospel. The gospel is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I believe, repent, confess, and you have time that I make you a new creature in Christ Jesus. Remember this. Keep it real. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. And if you miss me from singing, singing, and you can't find me nowhere, nowhere. come on up to glory. glory. I'll be singing the fair. Yes, I will. And I know the Lord, He will greet me over yonder.
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. This is a program reminder. Stephen B's Music Production presents. We're airing live shows here on Blog Talk Radio. Telephone number to the live show is 713-955-0508. And the website is www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash gospel light radio show. On Tuesday evening, I'm hosting a live show, What a Woman Lord Radio Show, every second, third, and fourth Tuesday of the month. And the second Tuesday of the month, that show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on the second Tuesday of the month, we have a guest speaker from the Brotherhood of the Churches of Christ who will be making their proclamation of the gospel of Christ. And also during that show, we have the Community Corner segment. That segment is for small business owners and entrepreneurs who have products and services for our communities. I also have two co-hosts on that show who give her easy advantages for the Oakbrook Park Church of Christ there in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Isa Mullins. He serves the Cary Church of Christ there in Cary, North Carolina. And then on the third Tuesday of the month, the show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6, to 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host, Dr. Antherica Lane, she's a board-certified obstetrician and gynecologist. She serves the Great Road Church of Christ there in Cincinnati, Ohio. And she'll be hosting the Conversations with Dr. Lane. And on the fourth Tuesday of the month, that show will air at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 6 p.m. Central Standard Time. And my co-host, Kelly Fletcher, she serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ in Indianapolis, Indiana. And she'll be hosting the Kelly Fletcher Show. Then on Thursday evening, I'll be hosting a live show, the Gospel Light Radio Show. That show will air from 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 5 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. And I have eight co-hosts on that show, uh, Clay Phillips and Dr. Frank Washington. 
and Steve Cordell, Robert Lee Johnson, Glenn McMillian, uh, Yusuf Alford, and Stanley Hubbard, and Brian Christian Coleman. And th- these gentlemen will be making their proclamation of the gospel of Christ. So each week I have two of my co-hosts on the air with me. I'm also taking a question from my social media platform on Facebook called Shout It Out. I'll be posting one of my co-hosts on that live show as well. Then on Friday night, I'm hosting the live show, Steve B's Acapella Gospel Music Blast Radio Show. And this radio show is the 2022 recipient within the CAMA National Academy of Christian Acapella Music Artists Award for Outstanding Achievement in Record or Radio. And this show will air from 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 8 to 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. And on this radio show, I'm playing some. Playing some of the world's greatest acapella gospel music artists, the sweet sounds of voices. We're also interviewing artists, producers, comedians, etc. And we're also debuting new music and featuring old music on that broadcast as well. And every third Friday of the month, I'm, I'm, I do my top 20 countdown show. And we also have on demand episodes. And there are, there are just a variety of musical platforms that you can go to to listen to these shows, wherever you get your favorite podcast from, whether it be Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Apple iTunes, YouTube just to name a few. And we also have recorded version shows. These shows going to be heard on iHeartRadio, Deezer, and also on Amazon Music. Just search for Stevie B's Media Production recorded versions. And we also want to thank our sponsors who are sponsoring these radio shows. If you'd like to become a sponsor, just, just contact my sponsorship manager, Michelle Marco from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And her telephone number is 954-687-4705. And the three E's of Stevie B Media Production is the objective of this broadcast, we want to educate, we want to edify, we want to encourage you in the study of God's Word. And that will conclude our program announcements. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. You're listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Our hearts desires must face the winds of doubt Expecting things from above and wanting now Seek you first the kingdom of God And all these things will be added unto you The spirit strong and grows from day to day. He's blessed and weak and it calls me in The world of treasures take a hold of you. Will turn the wise man into Sure, it's wasting time. 
Listening to the Gospel Light Radio Show. Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. I want to thank you for spending a little time with us this evening in a study of God's Word. What a show, what a show. I want to thank my co host, Stanley Hubbard, and Clay Phillips for that proclamation of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I really appreciate the efforts on the broadcast. Also, my co host, Dr. Frank Washington, with that question that he asked about what Jesus said. Who do men say that I am? And that's a question that we all have to answer. 
for ourselves. Great lesson uh, that Brother Frank taught, Dr. Frank Washington taught us in that shouted out portion of the broadcast. Really appreciate their efforts on the show this evening. What a blessing just to be able to have faithful Christians who are able to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ without any addition or subtraction from the word of God. It's my prayer that these lessons that we've given this evening have been beneficial to your spiritual lives and your relationship with the Lord has been spent because not only tuned in this radio broadcast, but you've given yourself over to a study of God's word. So until we meet again, I pray God's continued blessings upon your lives and that he bless you real, real good. You've been listening to the Gospel Light radio show on behalf of my co-host. And we, we really do appreciate your love and support for these radio programs. I'm your host, Stevie R. Butler. Good night, everybody. God bless you. You're listening to the Gospel Light radio show. With all the talk, what is your goal? With all the talk, what is your goal? With all the talk, what is your goal? Now that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know, that you know that heaven is my goal. No matter what they say, call me and I'll go. I'll tell you, I'm not saying. Lord, I hear the streets are made for pure and gold. Breath of God blows gently through my soul. The pearly gate shines, sparkles on a rainbow beam. Lord, I give my all to you. Please make my dreams come true.
Radio Show.